Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll talk about Charizard EX absolutely shocking the Pokemon world and dominating the Curitiba Regional Championships down in Brazil this past weekend. We'll talk about some ongoing registration issues that are happening for our European friends over across the pond and what we hope and think that Pokemon could or should do about these situations. We'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. And if you say it isn't, you're just lying to yourself. And then we'll wrap up this week's episode by talking about the potential of Pokemon considering changing the tournament format. There's been a lot of discussion about the time rules, but there was a tweet this week from someone who's a pretty high up person at the Pokemon Company International that would lead us to believe that they are considering making a change. We'll talk about all that and more. And then, of course, we'll also wrap things up after the episode over on our Patreon for the bonus episode. 30 extra minutes every single week. If you want to hear more from me and Azul, the best place to do it is over there on the Patreon. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here, as always, by my friend and co-host... Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing, buddy? How uh, How's it been going? How's your week been? Uh, doing pretty good, Chip. Week was pretty good. Just a lot of content. I did restream some of the uh, Kurochiba Regional Championships. Just kind of caught the uh, end of top cut and then the some of the later rounds in day one. The time zone actually ends up like lining up decently. They start at like 4 or 5 a.m. For me, I don't wake up until like 8 a.m., um, and like this time around, I like went to the gym and stuff ahead of time. I think next time I'm going to go to the gym in the evening and like wake up at eight, just get ready and start streaming probably around like nine, get some more, get some more rounds in to, uh, watch for their next. So watching, you were like watching honest. it live, right? Yeah. Watching it live. Yeah. I didn't go back and watch any of the earlier rounds. Yeah. Watching it live is so much more enjoyable too. Cause like for when sure. you watch the VOD, you kind of know how things are going to go at some point. It's like in the, like when you rewatch the VOD, the early rounds, you don't really know who wins or loses, but like once you get to day two, it's like. Well, I know this person made top cut, or I saw them tweet that they made top 16, so it's they probably win this one, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then once it gets to top cut, you kind of know how it plays out. So, yeah, watching it live is definitely way more enjoyable than watching the VOD. I still enjoy watching the VODs of the tournaments as well, but live is definitely the play. I don't, unfortunately, for the Europe, European ones, like, they're all going to be streamed this year, but, like, their streams start at, like, midnight for me. And I'm not trying to stay up from, like, midnight to 9 a.m. day one or 10 a.m. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to kind of VOD review those. But, like, for the... The ones in Latin America, the, the time zones end up being pretty good. I just got to, you know, get uh, get on the stream a little bit. It's earlier. only one hour ahead of Eastern time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. In Brazil. So I don't know. Do they have one time zone? How many times? They probably have a couple time zones on there, right? That is probably true. It's a pretty big country. <laughs> but yeah, they, this time around, it was a four hour difference for me, which would be a three hour or a one hour difference for you. Um, but I mean, I was going to I was, I was saying all this, but like they don't have any other major tournaments on the schedule. So I don't know if I'm going to be watching another championship mm -hmm. live unless australia gets some kind of streams happening i actually looked at the time zone mm -hmm. difference because i was like thinking ahead to that and actually that one lines up really well for me to potentially basically watch, all of but... brazil is in the same time zone a small sliver is in a little earlier and a small sliver is in a little later a small slivers in eastern and then whatever's a small sliver is two hours ahead of eastern and a small yeah. the majority of it is one hour ahead of eastern yeah okay makes sense but yeah, yeah the just, big cities are it looks like <laughs> just another content filled week for me nothing really crazy happened i don't think 
Um, yeah, been having a good time with the the streams and stuff specifically. Uh, been having a ton of fun with that. But what about you, Chip? How was your How was your week? Uh, my week was good. My week was good. Yeah, not too much going on to be honest i watched a lot of football this weekend which was fun i've been like traveling the last couple weekends so i haven't gotten to like sit down and watch a lot of the football games i love professional football so it was fun to sit and watch that and then college football on saturday a little bit um but yeah not too much happening we are finally back recording on a tuesday this week yeah <laughs> it's uh been a while since we've recorded on a or posted an episode on tuesday you know, if you don't hear from, I said this at the end of last week's episode, but for anyone who didn't listen all the way to the end or missed it, maybe, uh, if you don't hear from us on Tuesday, just assume that there will be an episode Wednesday. If you don't hear yeah. from us Wednesday, go check the Twitter and we probably tweeted <laughs> why there wasn't an episode, but, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, especially like coming up here in October, we're going to be traveling like every single weekend, the month of October. So there's yeah, a my- decent chance that a few October episodes will be <laughs> Wednesday episodes, but we'll see. Yeah, the one after Peoria for sure will be a Wednesday episode. Next week should be on Tuesday. One after Peoria will definitely be a Wednesday. And then hopefully uh, hopefully all of them after that for the rest of October will be on on, uh, Tuesdays. But yeah, we're trying to stay on track, doing our best, back on it for this week at least. Yeah, made it happen, made it happen. And speaking of making it happen, a certain dark type EX card was able to make it happen down in South America this week. That's right, Charizard EX, a card that pretty much everyone else had written off, but a group of like the top level, I mean, and I mean like the best of the best Latin America players chose to pick this card up, built a deck with it, and it, I mean, not only did it win the tournament, but it absolutely dominated the tournament with eight uh, five of the top eight placements <laughs> being not eight of the eight. <laughs> it's not Australia Palkia levels out here, but five <laughs> of the eight top eight spots were given to Charizard EX. And it was and taken William by Azevedo. Charizard is a What's better up? way to say it. You said given to Charizard, taken by Charizard. Taken by, yeah, not given. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing's given, nothing for free out here. <laughs> Charizard earned its keep. Um, and it was eventually William Azevedo getting the win so congratulations william he's a former regional champion so yep someone who's uh not surprising to see him winning yet another one he actually won this event oh wait no sorry that is literally this event <laughs> I, I thought that was like an old curachiba regionals my bad it's the first time <laughs> i've heard of curachiba this might be the first curachiba regional championship yeah it's sure. the first time i've heard of curachiba yeah yeah congrats to william and yeah charizard dominating azul we kind of had written this card off a little bit. Most Americans, Europeans, it felt like had written the card off. You know, it hadn't seen success in either of our two events, Pittsburgh or Barcelona. Was not top eight in Barcelona. Sparsely. Yeah, top eight in Barcelona. Top four. Yeah, I can't forget. Yeah. Um, but, you know, compared to like what this is, I mean, it's a big difference, right? What leads to this, you know, being the outcome here in Brazil? Um, I mean, like... Figuring the list out probably is a little bit of something there. Like we see like three yeah, three of the top three of the five lists that made top eight was this build that William played. Um, along with uh, Leonardo and Pedro. Uh they were all walking the same list. And there was a couple other players as well. Uh I tried to pick them out. Otavio uh, and Ricardo, I think as well were rocking this. And so well, remember, was... yeah, on Limitless you can just click on the list and it'll tell you who played the same sixty. 
Well, no, but they're they're not all the same sixty. It's like the same yeah, fifty nine. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's one with a radiant. Yeah, there's some. There's one with a radiant Greninja. Some have Mawile, Some don't. I think uh, Petrucci played three Lost City. So like there are some differences in the lists for sure. Uh, a couple of them. Um, and then we see, but we see outside of that list that was like piloted by a ton of the top players. Um, there was still two Arceus Charizards as well in top cut. The only Charizard not in top eight, Charizard build not in top eight, is the Lost Zone Charizard. But there's still two of those in top 32 as well. There's still two Lost Zone Charizards in top 32. Um, and so, yeah. also a Gallade Charizard in yeah. top 32. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all the variants of Charizard that are known, I would say, had a top 32 appearance. Of course, these this Charizard Pidgeot build the most dominant out of all of them but then charizard arceus really not too far behind with two top eights uh, another one in uh 17th place uh gabriel Sameto, who's definitely a, a well-known player familiar mm-hmm. face so yeah charizard in general dominating the new build without the arceus i played actually quite a bit with it myself on stream literally right after the regional concluded i uh <laughs> william tweeted out the list i took the list started playing with it and it definitely feels like the best charizard deck i've played with so far like it feels like it most more consistently than any of the other builds gets that turn two candy Charizard or candy Pidgeot into the candy Charizard. And then you just swing with Charizard on turn two and you just kind of go from there. So it feels more consistent than any of the Charizard builds I played so far. Um, but it's, it was close. And yeah, like I said, the Arceus builds are still up there as well. So yeah, just a lot of Charizard in general at this tournament. Yeah. 40 players in day two and 12 of them were playing Charizard. I mean, that's a massive, that's like, (laughs) that's crazy. That's big percentage. That's what you would expect to see from like a Gardevoir or, you know, lost Tina maybe, but um, it was indeed Charizard for this event. So, I mean, it is super interesting, right? Because Pittsburgh didn't do super well. It had the one top four placement in Barcelona, um, but they were cooking down there in Brazil. You know, they came up with this list. And it's definitely, you know, very different from what we've seen. Does play the four Arvin as kind of the engine of the deck um, to get things set up. I mean, I guess your engine, if there's an engine, right, is Pidgeot EX. But Arvin, like, gets you into the Pidgeot EX, uh, which, you know, gets you whatever other pieces you need. There's also a couple of V Pokemon in here, Entei V and Luminion V, with a couple Forest Seal Stones. So what most people, and I would say, like, going into this tournament the most popular way to play charizard was definitely with arceus v star and this might have been lost zone to be honest like i think think lost zone had kind of taken that spot i think after barcelona i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have been surprised if lost zone was the most popular way charizard was played but it's probably pretty close between arceus the lost zone build and then just with how many um well, I don't know. Maybe the the this build without Arceus or Lost Zone probably wasn't super popular. I would say yeah. it's I would say it's probably close between Arceus and Lost Zone being the most popular. Yeah, I think it's but. probably Arceus, but I could see it being close. But, uh, but the, I mean, this kind of takes that that idea right of like having Pidgeot EX as you're consistent throughout the game, and then Arceus V Star to like get your early setup, and it just takes away the Arceus and gives you the different V Star power. But you have a little more utility, right? You get the Lumineon V, and then you get Entei V, which is actually a pretty solid attacker. It's got a lot of HP too, so it doesn't really go down super easily to a lot of stuff. It might hang around for a turn, um, you know, soak up a hit, which makes it not too bad. Uh, but yeah, as well, like you know, you played with it a lot. You think it's the best way to play Charizard currently, like, and does it feel like this result is gonna really impact things for Peoria in just a couple weeks? Uh, yeah, like I said, it definitely felt like the the best way to play it that I played so far. But it's like close. It doesn't it doesn't feel like head and shoulders above the other Charizard builds, and it also doesn't feel like 
it's like broken, right? I mean, the result from it was was uh very solid, right? Three in the in the top eight. Um uh and there were still two other Charizard Arceus as well. So the meta the meta feels like it definitely probably was setting up pretty well for it. Um like Got a good Lugia matchup. None of the Lugia players, I'm sure, were playing Cobalion, or very few, if any of them, were playing the Cobalion, which is like yeah. the the way that Lugia was what Lugia needs to play to really have a solid time against Charizard. Otherwise, it just gets, gets kind of run over by Charizard. The HP is just too high. You're trading back and forth until eventually the Charizard is one hit KO and you, and you never get that potential. So uh, if you're not rocking the Cobalion or the Urshifu, the Urshifu isn't as good of an answer because of the fact that it gives up three prize cards eventually and can kind of be boss and messed with before you actually utilize it um, makes it not as good of a answer to charge i think the cobalion is definitely a little bit better but like if stuff like maridon's popular luke is popular without an answer and even with the answer i'm not actually quite sure if luke even with the cobalion is actually favored against Charizard, or if it's just like a 50 50 um and then we even saw like the list that william played and a couple of the other players who were playing this kind of build there is that mawile in there for the guardvor matchup so catching the guardvor players off guard probably i don't think many people are playing the penny or the switch card in the guard right now and actually um leonardo came into my chat when i was playing with the deck after the regional concluded, uh, and he said it was basically there for the for the Gardevoir matchup mostly was the Mawile. So, and he also thinks it's unfavored. Like I even asked him, I was like, "Do you think the Gardevoir matchup is unfavored?" I feel like it'd be probably pretty close. And he says, "Yeah, the double reversal energy is just like not a good time for Charizard still." So, even the players who are playing this deck think it ha thinks it has a rough Gardevoir matchup. Um, but the Mawile tech is probably what carried them through that matchup for a couple of them at the very least, you know, to get them those wins or even ties, you know, you just squeak out one game against them and then Garvor takes a long time to play through game. So it ends up in a tie, but that makes a big difference for uh, potentially even getting to that top eight to begin with. So um, moving forward, yeah, it felt like the meta was right for it. The, the, the cheesiness of Mawile probably helped quite a bit as well. The Garvor players aren't really prepared for Mawile right now. So that definitely helped. Uh, one thing I did notice that was kind of lacking in the top 32 or maybe at the tournament in general was Lost Tina, which I think is also tough for um Charizard. I was actually predicting Francisco to win the tournament. Francisco did get second with the lost Tina. Um, but the if you watch the finals, Francisco definitely drew the uh those kind of hands that gives Lost Tina its reputation. Um I mean he sure. just like passed twice Four in turn, both yeah. games, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> and still almost won both games. Was like like, yeah, the matchup does not seem good for Charizard, to be honest. After kind of watching that play out, I'm not, like, super experienced in the matchup, but, like, piecing it together mentally, and then after watching that one game from Francisco, that one matchup, Francisco versus William, definitely looks like it's probably leaning towards a favorable uh, favorable matchup for the lost Tina, for sure, to be honest. Because um, it's just like, yeah. Um, you, the comeback potential in that matchup is just so high. And, like, the early game, like, when you're just kind of punching Zards with Tina, the Zards don't want to KO on you back, and you can utilize that 280 damage with the Sableye later on. There's, like, so many little things you can do as the Tina player. So, moving forward, I don't think the Charizard is going to be, like, S-tier going into, like, the meta of... Uh, what do we got? Peoria coming up? I think there's going to be a little bit more lost Tina, probably, especially if there's more hype around the Zard. Lugia's going to be playing Cobalion. Does that make it an, a... a Unfavorable matchup for Zard, I'm not sure. And we'll be we'll see a little bit more Lost Tina though as well. And then also like now that the Mawile is out of the bag, are the Guard Wars but there's like that kind of uh, uh game of chicken there, right? Are the Guard Wars yeah. gonna play Penny? And if they play Penny, do you cut your Mawile? But if you're cutting your Mawile because you think they're playing Penny, do they not play the Penny, right? So <laughs> it's up to the Guard War players to decide whether or not to play the Penny. And the Charizard players whether or not they want to play the Mawile. So I think it's very solid moving forward for sure, which is really cool to see because it feels like the meta was getting a little bit stale. A nice shakeup like this always feels really, really good. I think I saw Ian Robb basically tweet that out um, earlier today. It was like, it's really cool that we have this evolution of the meta hit, um, even though it feels like the meta was really, really stale at this point. You know, Mew's not looking like a really good play anymore. 
Yeah, so I mean, it definitely feels like this will have a decent impact on Peoria. Peoria is a slightly different format. We will have the cards from 151 Legal. Yeah. But with the exception of Mui X, maybe the Zapdos, it doesn't feel like there's going to be too much. And then, like, obviously, you know, people playing Charizard will upgrade their Charmanders and, and Pidgeys. But other than yeah. that, um, little yeah, it'll just be buffs. kind of the meta, <laughs> how, how the meta reacts, how the meta changes. Um, there was one other surprise here in the top eight. We had uh, Juliana making top eight with Arceus Umbreon. Now, that's a name I've not heard in... <laughs> quite a long time and it was a pretty unique build with the uh it was arceus umbreon duraludon kind of the usual suspects but had a 1-1 lucario v star in the list yeah i actually to be honest i have no idea what the lucario is good against i'm sure it's good against something i have no clue what it's good against though um i'm sure the umbreon or the duraludon felt probably really good with how popular lugia has kind of been that's just like as soon as you set your duraludon up you're just kind of cooking. And also, like, Lugia is not a, very, a deck that's very good at going turn two boss knockout anything ever. It just usually can't do that. Usually your supporter has to be committed to actually getting the Archaeops in the discard pile on turn two. Um, from turn to one to turn two, that's what you're focused on. So even just, like, a 1-1 Duraludon in this build is, like, all you need, right? Get a Duraludon free dubs against the, the Lugia deck. Also, pretty good matchup against, like, anything like the Rapid Strike as well. The Duraludon's, like, really good against Rapid Strike decks as well. So you got that going for you as well. Uh, but the Charizard matchup is definitely tough for pretty much all arceus decks arceus with charizard i don't know maybe that can compete against other charizards better but maybe this kind of, one deck... of the things lucario is for you know if they overextend their energy but like they have to do that for and it's telegraphed right you're benching the lucario yeah. v before and even... also it I means guess... you didn't use starbirth <laughs> as well right yeah but does anyone actually know what lucario v star does that's <laughs> also probably they, you, you, they bench lucario v and you're just like all right what am i playing around now at this point <laughs> um yeah i'm not i'm not sure about the lucario v to be honest i'm not sure what matchup it like slots really oh i guess maybe maridon right that's got to be because actually this oh. deck does struggle against maridon that's maridon a thousand percent what it's for yeah because yeah. <laughs> yeah especially with bravery charm now you just don't have a way to one hit ko maridon but the lucario uh will get there a little bit more often gosh sure its first attack doesn't even ko or maridon with a bravery charm though that's true actually i seen ko the raikou still damn well, that's tough so and this little guy doesn't either the little one well, the Aura Star does, though. If Right, uh, but then you had to not use Starbirth. use Starbirth to establish your 1-1 other V-Star line, right? It's something, right? and we need something. That matchup's tough. Yeah, <laughs> that matchup's really... it's, it's I, fair, it's fair. When I was playing Arceus Duraludon, uh before NAIC, I think, I hit Sajin on the ladder like four times in a row or something in one day, and <laughs> I, I won one game, I think. The matchup was so hard. I was like, bro, just come on, let me beat him one time. <laughs> <laughs> The and was like yes give me that free ladder point lp yeah <laughs> um yeah and then the last uh last deck in top eight that we could quickly mention uh, nothing super uh special about the list um except for maybe the headquarters uh the pokemon league headquarters but it's another it's a guardy double reversal energy guardy um or i guess the things guardy, to point out some people call it right? close no no force seal stone no luminian no pal pad um the four four stadium count though which no no worker though we usually i feel like we've usually been seeing people like go to a worker before they go to a third stadium um but has the artisan the poco uh pokemon league headquarters and the collapse it feels like collapse is always too good to not play and yeah. then pokemon league headquarters is really strong in the deck as well especially with like stuff like ride on floating around like making ride on work a little bit harder you know you don't hate to hate to do that to be honest right so um yeah. so yeah the problem i i just i never love those passive stadiums because they're just so easy for your but like I mean, if I'm Ioni, a lost box to one. Some way to determine the percentage, right? You like, you'd have to play probably too many games to actually get a real number. But like, 
how often does your opponent like does the league headquarters like actually stay in play to matter like it forces your opponent to find something else obviously but like most Maridon lists are playing two to three stadiums already oh right? yeah it's definitely lost more box than has lost, lost box. vacuum right well, hold on hold on i'm not putting it in play turn two against lost box i'm going iona to one league headquarters <laughs> like they're okay, not sure. stable eyeing me on that next turn unless they draw the stones like <laughs> yeah or like one mirage gate yeah and even against like lost tina that can be a really good strategy as well because sometimes oh the mirage gate yeah i know but at that point they have to like get the super rod plus the mirage gate plus bench the sable uh, yeah, eye like yeah. it makes them work quite a bit they harder, didn't bench for it sure. before they knew they were going to get iona to one hey man people only play the two stable stable eye, so it's so much harder to keep the stable eyes in play yeah. through stable eye through stable eye give it a try they'll thank me <laughs> later um yeah, no, the Pokemon League HQ also against Lost Tina as well. I think it's because like sometimes the way that Lost Tina closes out the game is Sableye. Um, so yeah, po throwing the the headquarters out there to throw them off hopefully can be the game changer in that one as well. Even though like it's not the Lost Box deck, like any against any Lost on deck with Sableye basically, mm -hmm. the uh, the HQ can be pretty pretty powerful. I mean, like the idea of it is something that's uh, but but it's like not something that's out of left field. Like oh my gosh, the League HQ I've never seen or heard of that before people have been trying that out since kind of the card uh release we just haven't seen it be like super popular not kind of a mainstay um, other than that though uh it's a lot of what we would expect except i think there's like quite a bit less lost box than you would think and that's probably due in large part to the dominance of charizard right like that matchup is pretty tough for for lost zone yeah just a few in day two and they're all kind of in the uh the mid none of them in the top 16 yeah, specifically like the Arceus build and then the build that like uh, William used to win the tournament. Like the Lost Zone builds are a little bit easier to deal for Lost Box to deal with. And yeah, like the Guardi yeah. Curlia build is easier for Lost Box because there's so many things to pick on with Sableye. But when you're when all the Pokemon you set up is just Charizards and Pidgey IDXs, it's like, well, I got to get through these big HP Pokemon at this point. So I think we're going to see probably see stuff like the uh, Tropius probably start to make its way into Lost Zone decks. Like if you want to compete against these Zards, you just need something that hits hard. Yeah, doesn't give up two prize cards like the Dragonite, right? You need to see it hit him hard, get some extra damage and play for Sableye to work with, but you're not trying to give up two prize cards on that uh, on that trade off. So, yo, super effective glasses. Are we ready for it? No. Town store, so. super effective glasses. <laughs> Come on now. Trophies. I think I'd rather play like the punching things. I think the punching things are mm, probably better. The punchy things. Yeah, the punching things. Whatever that. What is it called? The eventual punch. punch. Yeah ventral punch town store dude i was like thinking you could start people have played some weird tools in lost box decks when like you had no access to them the choice like i even even uh you played uh, one choice belt yeah yeah we played one choice actually i got it's crazy how much value i got out of that actually that was kind of insane i probably got I, I shouldn't have got as much value as i should have got as i got out of that at fresno regionals but yeah, we played one choice belt at fresno which was i mean it's like okay like but uh now they have town store people like we're playing like one of choice belts one of bravery charms now that we have town store Get the bravery charm in there, the choice belt. It finds four seal stone. I don't know. There could be something there, some kind of lost box deck with like the whole squad. Because bravery charm is like really good yeah. on like a dragonite early game in and certain there's matchups. No, like, but you can't find um, it. It feels like for just like turbo lost box, like yeah, pokey stop is still really good, right? But yeah, none of the stadiums feel like amazing. Like pokey stop's still good, artisan is good. Town store probably fits. Maybe it's like a little less value than those other two aforementioned ones, but yeah, I think it depends on. None of them feel like obvious. Like, oh yeah, this is the stadium we're absolutely playing in Lost Box. You know. Yeah, we even looked at like if you look at um, Estrada's list, having like the one 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 Beach Corp, but cut back on the Switch cards by one, cut back on the Nest Balls by one, but played a, uh, a Artisan, and then also had a one of Pokestop. The one of Pokestop is really just nice for late game with Kyogre. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. I think but if you're playing Ogre, like, you got to play the at least some count of stop for sure. Yeah, but like in the middle of the game, the artisan is the artisan. If you're playing like a one prize game, the artisan is so powerful. If the artisan or beach court sticks in play, yeah, Lost Box gets so like getting two uses out of either of those stadiums is just absurdly strong. And the Pokey Stop is like you could get value off Pokey Stop, but you can also get nothing off Pokey Stop, and it could be it could even hurt you more than it helps you. So it's like you know what you can always get consistent. Though? What? A vengeful punch with town store, buddy. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> or the bravery charm. I'm just saying. Like... Yeah, yeah. No, it seems cool. Also, I didn't realize until I saw this name, but this is uh, Vinny Fernandez. Yeah, getting his first Masters Regionals. Uh, yeah. Top 32. Pretty cool. Yeah, Vinny's like always, he's been one of the online grinders for the last couple of years. Uh, and uh, well got second place well. at LAIC this past yeah. year in seniors, you know, and his brother won worlds in seniors. So, you know, he's uh, his brother's actually, to be honest, Gabriel's showing up and Gabriel won seniors at uh, Kurachiba. Nice. So, yeah. Vinny's got the a, I know Vinny's in masters now. Yeah. Vinny's in masters now, but Vinny's got to step it up. Gabriel's showing him up big time for sure. I mean, top 32 <laughs> first masters regionals, take it no, home a grand. It feels pretty good. Right. Yeah, but you know someone like Vinny, very competitive, wants more than that for sure. You know, Vinny's Vinny wanted to top eight or further this event for sure. Vinny is not well. Happy we did in. do um a couple predictions for this tournament going in last week, just kind of last second. We each picked a deck that we thought would win. I picked Lost Box, you picked Gardevoir. You were definitely way closer than me. Lost yeah. Box nowhere to be seen in the top sixteen, but there's quite a few Gardevoirs Vinny in the top tried 16, for you. <laughs> including one in top eight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Garvar is like such a reliable deck to assume it'll do well, right? Because like some kind of decks in the format can get boxed. And that's why Garvar is my BDIF in this meta, right? Like overall in the meta, not just like a meta for a tournament, um, because it's so, you can't box Garvar out, right? Like when higher HP stuff like the Lugia, like the Charizard become more popular, Lost Box is going to struggle. Uh, when the, the, the high HP, the high damage of something like a Charizard comes up, that's going to be uh, trouble for something like a Maridon. But Garvar is always just like, I mean, the one deck that Garver used to have trouble with, which I feel like it really doesn't anymore. Um, we even saw whose list was it? Who was like really playing around the lost? It was uh, it was Gustavo's list. Yeah, Gustavo played double Pokey League headquarters, so Gustavo was prepared for the Lost Box matchup. Gustavo was prepared oh, for the geez. Lost Box matchup. So Garver can even go further down a certain tech route to like tech four or something like the Lost Box matchup. So it's really hard to box Garver out of uh, of the meta. It probably won't actually ever happen until. It rotates to be honest it's oh actually once we lose shiny icon on guard for it gets a lot worse but um so yeah no surprise to see guard for uh yeah. doing i mean well. also eventually we'll get to like scarlet violet on and then refinement curly is not in the format either that that'll be a tough I mean, that's day. two ro that's two rotations but yeah, yeah i mean you, it, losing shiny arcana is a huge hit for sure like that is a zashin does zashin leave too i think it does too yeah but we have mimikyu we have the literally mimikyu just replaces it that's some people are even playing oh yeah it's like almost yeah. the same right yeah yeah people are doing the mimicue to get around full picks right um because it doesn't have the ability and basically does the same thing as uh this is uh, it mean, is uh, i mean i'm not gonna like, question roar, you roar of the swords pretty yeah, good zashin right? zashin yeah roar, i mean roar of the swords whatever you don't want to bench your zashin before <laughs> zashin before you use it like you don't want to just like chill in there to get knocked out but yeah. if you open it i mean it's better to have the sword than not the sword but what is mimicue's first attack is the real question hold up it like you have like a killer one energy it attack. like grabs an energy i think was it like so. do the same thing no you may switch this pokemon with oh, one of your bench right. pokemon honestly that might be better no because people were playing that with klefki whenever uh oh yeah you could hit and run yeah that's right but that actually honestly might be better than 
caution. If you open it going second, I'm trying to. I'm not trying to leave. If we're going second, I'm not trying to leave Zacian in my active. Zacian, you got to you know? commit, dude. Either what, commit to saying it wrong or like <laughs> learn to say it right. You know. Yeah, but that was the Kurachiba event. It was like I said, the the meta shakeup was really really cool to see. Whoa, 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 uh, whoa! We got to recap one more prediction. Okay. Oh. Listen, I gave you true, true, true. You got the, you know, even though Gardevoir didn't win, sure, you win that one. But I gotta get multiple points or something for this one because we each picked a player to win, and your boy picked William as Veto to win, and he did get the win. You picked Pedro and Pedro got top eight, so you were close. You know, it was a good guess, but not not the best guess. Not the best guess. I was close. Naya, yeah, you had the best possible guess, Chip. Congratulations. <laughs> I don't think either um, of us could have predicted Charizard, though. That's the... <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have predicted either of them to play Charizard, to be honest, either. But, yeah. um, hey, it worked out. Yeah, it's really cool to see. But, yeah, that is the, the Kurchiba Regional Championships. Uh, the meta gets shaken up. Cool new way to play Charizard. Yeah, it's just cool to see. The meta still evolving like this is really, really cool to see. And that's what that's what I love. I love seeing this development happen, where it's like it need we need... A different region to have their first major tournament to get like get all the get all the heads all the all the heads of pokemon all the people who play pokemon get all their brains working like yeah. like when the when they haven't had their event yet they haven't been able to apply what everything they've been working on at a major event yet so we also kind of wait until the first latin american events happens and then boom all of a sudden new way to play charizard charizard dominates the tournament and you know uh, we had our first event in in north america um there was the first event in europe in barcelona saw a little bit more from barcelona than we did from uh pittsburgh i guess we're just not as creative as the the rest of the world <laughs> i think japan blows yeah, everyone out of the water drones over here. yeah i think japan blows everyone out of the water in terms of like what does well at their tournaments as far as like creativity and innovation and new stuff of course they get the new cards before us of course but um do you uh, feel yeah. like that is like a thing where it feels like people are I don't know. There's so much pressure on like each event. It feels like with BFLs and, you know, trying to maximize your points for each tournament that if it almost feels like people, I mean, because of how massive our tournaments are as well, people are like less willing to take risks. Almost. They're like more willing to pick the safe deck that they know is good. Right. And not like bounce things off the wall. Now, some people are still willing to do that. Right. Like play something out of nowhere. That's a surprise, but it feels like there's less people that are willing to to take a risk and play like their homebrew of Charizard to the tournament, right? Um, I think it's just everything's gotten a little bit more calculated. And with how much information share is out there, you have a better guess on what people will play mm -hmm. and at what level they'll play it at. So you have a better framework to work around as to like what you're testing against. Um which leads you to because if, if if you can't really predict what everyone else is playing, then your wacky ideas will theoretically be better because no one can predict what you're playing either. But when you can predict what everyone else is playing, the um, a lot of the stuff gets like uh, flushed out really fast as to what is bad and what is good, right? So like it's just kind of like the evolution of Pokemon now. The current metagame just happens faster, um, so it's harder to find those decks that are actually worth bringing to an event that are different from what everyone else is rocking. But we still see it from time to time, right? And especially it's very nice to see this tournament. You know, the third major tournament of the meta, we're still seeing some really cool innovation uh, in the meta getting uh, shaken up and everything like that. So um, I don't think I do think there I think there is a little bit of a factor of that, though. I think people are a little bit more scared and a lot of people just jump on playing the BDIF, um, which is something I'm always trying to not do. Um, it's something I advocate against. Like, I think you have a higher chance to instead of playing 50 or playing mirror matches against all the other top players in the world, I'd rather bring something different 
to make them have to work a little harder potentially or like take take less straight up of a 50 50 i'd rather counter the top deck a little bit than like play the top deck myself but um yeah so i think it's a little bit of both i think a little bit of it's like everything just gets everything just happens faster in the pokemon tcg than it used to the meta evolves faster what's good and what's bad gets figured out faster so there's a little bit less to innovate on it's a little bit harder to innovate which isn't necessarily a bad thing you just gotta like the people who put in that actual work are going to be rewarded that much more and we see that here i think specifically at this this championship where you see three players playing the they're three very good players but they're all playing the exact same build um they all ended up in top eight because you know they put in that extra time um and even outside of that like we mentioned there's like three other players playing this exact same build in the top 32 as well right so um i think it's a little bit of both though a little bit of both a little bit a little bit of fear of just being like like i could play my my deck that i've been testing has been doing really well that no one really else is playing right now and i think it's good or i could just play guard War again right and a lot of people fall back on just like playing their comfort deck even at like the top level of things but um, hopefully we see that changing a little bit where more people are a little bit a little bit more willing to take a risk and like trust their process and trust their system because if your system leads you to believe that this homebrew that you have is really really good then you should probably come in and play instead of just playing guard again you probably have a little bit higher chance of success overall because i think so so for our next topic it's something we've talked about um <clears throat> a little bit over the last few weeks but you know kind of feels like things came to a head this past week with uh, continued registration issues for our friends over in Europe. Also, this is an issue down in South America. Um, we just see a little bit less of yeah. it on our Twitter timelines, I feel like, because, you know, there's the language barrier for a lot of, uh, you know, players and stuff like that. But yeah, registration just continues to be a problem for players in non-American countries. It feels like <laughs> event caps are very low and the number of people interested in playing the game just continues to increase uh but there was a regionals registration for the lille france regionals and it sold out basically instantly within seconds and yeah. saw tons of tweets from people saying they didn't get in i actually think was this like a second wave for lille like did they open up a few more spots it might have no, been because I, I feel I like a couple this... weeks ago i saw people not getting in uh or do they have like a second wave coming up no, I think this this week was the second wave. But I, I'm not 100% sure. But regardless, you know, a lot of people just like last shot to get in did not make it in. I even saw um, a tweet that the person who won the little regional championships last season did not get into the tournament. Uh, Fabio uh, Batistella did not make it in. It was unable to register, unfortunately. Um which is definitely a bummer. I mean, I almost feel like winning a tournament should get you like a pass back into it next year, right? Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, they don't I mean, always you, hold. You think the top players should just get free, you know, passes into all the events anyway? But yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it feels like you know the person who won because that's like one of the main storylines, like from a content caster point of view. One of the first things I look at when we're looking at players is who won this tournament last year. Uh, Cause yeah. that's like always kind of a cool story for me to, to try to identify and like try to follow. Um, Not an option for the casters in Lille France though. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm looking at the, the Twitter here for play the championships. Who is the, who is tournament center? Who's running everything. It doesn't look like they actually opened up any more spots. Maybe some got, I think some got maybe reallocated or like they reopened up the ones 
Mm. It looks like they'd open a couple more. Yeah, it does look like they opened up a couple more, actually. Um, I mean, one of the things with that that I was thinking about was like tournaments don't happen every year, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not um, like the uh, same tournaments don't happen every year. Obviously, um, the format is going to be way different than it was last year, and like, yeah, you know, more eyes are on the people who have won more recently, most often. But it's always kind of a cool little callback. I feel like. Yeah, and I think it is something you should build a storyline around at the tournament as far as like the stream stuff goes. It's like they won this one last season. Um, and here they are again, you know, playing here in it in the tournament again. So it, it does kind of suck to like even on like a personal note for some players, like not have the chance to um defend their title. Yeah. Right. Um so yeah, that kind of sucks. Uh but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've talked about the <laughs> I think there should be some players who achieve a certain level of of status throughout the game. And we do a couple of ways to do it that there should just kind of be guaranteed spots at tournaments. Um, even as far as like reaching out to like content creator stuff like that. Like, but I mean, we don't have to go over that again. I talk about it enough on my stream as well. Um, but yeah, like this, this time around, um, and especially like something that was really telling, I think this time around is a lot of players who are very experienced, you know, like kind of veterans in the game in general and experienced with the registrations process, especially over in Europe with stuff selling out so quickly. Uh, I saw a lot of names that I usually don't see tweeting out about this kind of stuff or tweeting out how they didn't make it into the tournament, right? And these are players who uh, who have been here before. So you know these players are sitting at their computer or on their phone 10 seconds before registration goes live and is trying to register as soon as registration goes live. And even they're missing registration, which means you know there has to be a ton of people trying to register for these tournaments immediately when registration is going live, much more than there has been in the in last season in Europe. Yeah, and uh, it's also like driven some people to the breaking point, kind of, it feels like. I saw a couple different tweets of people saying like, like this this tweet from uh, Julian, who has done a lot of work with the Pokedata website. I use it personally for a lot of things to like find local events and like check standings and stuff like that at tournaments from time to time. Uh, and he tweeted out, not getting into Lil killed all the motivation I had left. And that he's just like dumping all the information that uh, of all the projects he's worked on in regards to the game. Like that's that's a bummer to see, you know, someone who's yeah. committed a lot to the game and, uh, you know, making information more easily accessible for the player base is just like, yep, you know what? I'm out. <laughs> yeah, it does suck. Um, and we saw a couple other players tweeting on kind of like similar similar thoughts on like, well, do I even want to play anymore this season? You know, especially like for the players who like only get to go to a couple majors throughout the year. These players might not be going to every major in Europe. You know, this could, this is one of the ones that works for them and now they can't go. And of course not everyone's going to get in. Like I've said before on the podcast on the past in general, we do want to see these tournaments capping um, overall. You want them to hit the cap. You want to show that there's growth in the game. So that way it yeah. tells the organizers, okay, they're capping. Let's get the bigger, venues next year but that's that's not the response we saw from tournaments capping in europe last season i don't know how it was for latin america overall i wasn't really paying attention to it overall to be honest they're obviously capping this season and the cap for curachiba was super low at only 400 players it was capped at um which is like ridiculous in my opinion um that so there's like no response to the growth of the very obvious growth of the game in latin america or in europe like there is in america which is just like absurd especially for europe um, I feel like it's very obvious last season from what I could tell it was very obvious that there was a lot more people who wanted to be playing in these major tournaments last season. And it's obviously going into this season. It was going to grow even more. And the demand hasn't even been close to being met for the 
um, for this season so far. And it was actually kind of funny <laughs> on Twitter uh, this week. Uh, someone pointed it out that it did almost kind of seem like the European uh, tournament organizers were just trying not to have uh, just to have not have 800 players at the tournaments because the tournament capture like 788 and stuff like that. And for anyone who doesn't know, when you hit 800 players, um, the the kicker for the extra round in day two kicks in where there's one more round yeah. in day two. So um, I don't think that was the actual reason that they did it. I even put out a tweet myself, but um, it probably is venue space. But the problem is venue space. Why are they, why are they not getting bigger venues this year? When it was very obvious la- last year that there was the want and need for more players to play in the game. And this is like w- what could actually kill growth and momentum in the game in Europe. Like over here, like Chip said, in North America, we don't have any of these problems. We have like no problems for our circuit right now here in North America. But over in Europe, they're having about the same caps they had last year as this year. Even when last year they were hitting the caps, they're more than uh, they're very aggressively hitting the caps this year as well. Um, if we see something like this similar again next year, that will start to kill the growth and the want and drive for people to play Pokemon in the game. We already start to see it with this like what is the third special event or their third major event registration going up with this one. Um, that we already see some players being like, I'm just I'm kind of checked for the season. This kind of killed my vibe. Yeah. I don't really feel like playing Pokemon right now. And I even saw some other players tweeting, like they don't even feel like going to League Cups and stuff because like their drive and motivation to play in League Cups is to test for the upcoming major tournament that they're now not going to. So now they don't even want to go to League Cups. Like, um, So I think, like I said, tournaments capping is overall a good thing. Them capping in 30 seconds is not a good thing. The only thing you can hope for at that point is to hopefully see a response from the tournament organizers to get bigger tournaments next season. But over there in Europe, that's not what's happening. There's the same tournament sizes, but it definitely seems like these 700 player, 600 player, 700 player European tournaments could be up to like 1,000, 1,200 players because it's capping out in like literally seconds when registration goes live. Yeah, and I think part of the issue for some people is that the system that is used to register right now through Arcanine labs uh isn't truly like a first come first serve so there's upsides and downsides i think to a lot of the different options and there's really no good solution right demand is way higher than the supply right now way more people want to play these events than will be able to with the tournament space that's been allocated now obviously we both think more tournament space should have been allocated they should have planned better they didn't we find ourselves in this situation there's only so many spots available um, and the way that the Arcanine system works right now is that um, you can like click to register. You you might know this a little better than me. I don't totally like understand how it works, but isn't it like you can click to register and then it like will randomly assign you a spot in line compared to like all the other people who are registering at the same time? Like it's not quite yeah. a queue system, but my understanding of it is it basically like. Everyone who clicks to register, it feels like a pool of player of people. My understanding of it is is that like if if like let's say a thousand players like there's a pool for a thousand people, five thousand people click to register. The first thousand get added to that pool, and that a pool then picks like five hundred of the thousand and allows them through to register. And then you have to re-click on register to enter the next pool to then be entered into the next chance to be taken from that pool to actually register for the tournament. That's my understanding of it. So it basically like takes you in a wave. And that wave gets through, and then only some of that wave actually gets gets into register. And then the everyone else has to go back and click on register again with everyone else who's clicking on register at that time. And basically, 
it like theoretically makes it a little bit more fair in terms of like you know people with the fastest internet don't just aren't guaranteed spots over other people it is still effectively first come first serve for the most part like if you show up 10 minutes late you're not getting into the tournament at that point right Mm -hmm. um but if you show up like five seconds later than someone else you might have the exact same chance as someone who literally showed up like on the dot like immediately at 7 p.m or whenever registration went live you might have like the same chance as them and that's my understanding of how the system works um so i don't really think that's that much bigger of a deal or worse than or that much better or worse than first come first serve it's basically uh negligible right it's basically just kind of the same thing for the most part so i don't really think there's too much of a gripe to have with that i did see some people who weren't able to um who weren't able to register for Lil being frustrated and they're specifically calling out RK9 lab system. But like, I don't know if that was going to really help you if the system was literally first come first serve. I think people are just looking for something to complain about in that, uh, in that regard. So I don't know yeah. if the system really is that big of a deal for regardless is, of something to what complain this, about. Regardless of what system is in place, like people who miss out are going to be annoyed, upset. Right. Yeah. And it's reasonable to be annoyed and upset. Uh, and they're going to look for a place to like voice that frustration. It just kind of so happens that, it's aimed at the Arca Nine people right now. They're good people, and you know they love the game, and they want. Uh, I'm sure they would love to, you know, fully allocate the spots to everyone <laughs> who wants one. But it's not like you know ultimately up to them. They're just kind of charged with, you know, we've got this many spots, this many people. You know, figure out how a way to make, make it, it work. Yeah, right? how do we get the people into the tournament? Which seems most reasonably most fair. Yeah, um, yeah and this all. I mean, so like. It all just comes back to like tournament organizers or pretend, dude. This was like actually ridiculous. Kind of blew my mind that this was the response. I saw, I forget who it was. Might have been Zapdos TCG. No, no, no. It was uh, Cremasoli, um, Alessandro. Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah, that he spoke to someone at TPCI at Worlds. He's like, yo, what is going on with these European events? Is it going to be better next season? Basically. And they were like, oh, we didn't even know this was a problem. No one sub- submitted a support ticket. And I was like, there is no way that Yeah, we talked about this a little last week. Oh, did we really? Did we talk about this week last week? Well, we talked about how, like, uh, the fact that submitting a support ticket is, like, the only way to <laughs> no get them to way. hear anything. Yeah, you were saying, absurd. like, there sh- it should be someone's job to, like, monitor Pokemon TCG Twitter and, like, report what happens on, like, what people are upset about in the community. Yeah, how is there not someone following people on Twitter to see that? Like, literally, like... um uh one of the things we're going to talk about or do we already talk about where are we at right now <laughs> okay we're going to talk about someone chris brown works at tpci literally follows yeah. me on twitter i complain about stuff all the time stuff like this like the fact that the only way apparently they can be communicated communicated to through a support ticket is bs that is just not true there's definitely enough information being spread out on twitter complaints and problems um and if there's not there's no way that the tournament organizers from europe aren't like reporting this back to tpci and being like hey our, our tournaments filled up really fast this year uh and that's it there's no way they don't give a report back on like how their season went or something like that or being like what do you want us to do moving forward is there something you're expecting from us or like anything like that that just blew my mind that uh alessandro had that conversation and their response was someone didn't no, no one submitted a support ticket saying that european events were filling up super fast so we can't do anything about it like we didn't know about it that's just like uh, that just blows my mind like um, so that's just absurd that that's the response that Alessandro got. Um, but yeah, the, the I think it is fair to be really frustrated and be complaining as European players because we don't see any growth or change from last season to this season. Now, if if last season it was taking like a week for tournament registrations to fill out, and then this season, new regional prize pool, a lot more incentive for people to want to play the game. All of a sudden, these tournaments were the ones that started capping in seconds out of nowhere, you know, compared to last season. 
then I don't think there's really that much reason to complain until we see what happens next season or with some of the later regionals down the line, right? Um, but we are seeing this back-to-back seasons where Europe is kind of being screwed over, yeah. and there's no, there's no push from the TOs to actually respond to the growth of the game, like we're seeing in North America specifically. And that will, if they keep this up next season, the season after over in Europe, that will kill the game over in those in, in Europe for sure. Like yeah. it'll stunt the growth. Kills motivation no one, for the players who like. Yeah, if you if you go to your like you start playing the game and you go to your league cups and your league challenges, you have that experience. Maybe this season, next season, you're like okay, I want to go to some regional championships. You literally can't get into any of them. You're like, bro, mm-hmm. why am I even playing Pokemon? So I'm I'm, I'm I play the league cups, I play the league challenges, but I want to go to some regionals. I literally can't get to these regionals because they just fill up instantly every single time. I'm gonna go play One Piece, right? Like, so it, it's maybe not gonna have the biggest detriment this season, but if it continues into next season, the season after, it will definitely start to kill the game over in Europe. So something needs to change next season. Going to play One Piece is not a better solution, by the way, if you're worried about <laughs> trying to get into tournaments because they have the same issue. It's yeah. like- well, Maybe not even next season, but later this season, right? Yeah, sure. Um, later this season in Europe, it would be nice to see things change um, for them. I, mean, I think that, piece, could happen. That, that kind of is what happened to us, right? We had start of last season, stuff was capping, selling out really quick. But then by the spring of 2023, winter 2023, like stuff looked yeah. a lot better, you know, like yeah. early. Parts and this of the season, year. things have been great for North America so yeah. far, right? Yeah. We had the only thing was Pittsburgh capped really, really fast. But even then, they opened up a ton of slots, didn't cap. Yeah. All the regionals that passed that haven't capped. Like the, the closest one was Peoria. I think it took four hours to cap. So like, I think you might still be able to register for Sacramento if you want to like right now. So yeah, uh, we should see more of that over in Europe for sure. And, and Latin America at this point as well. Um, one Piece does have the excuse that this is their first season though, right? Like, so that's mm-hmm. fine. Like if they, they, they maybe didn't know what to expect, didn't know what they were getting into as much. And so like, that's what I'm saying. Like if this was the first time Europe was having these capping problems, you can't be too mad at TPCI or the tournament organizers. You'd be like, well, we're showing them the game is growing. Hopefully it gets better next season. But now it's been like, hopefully it gets better next season. And it hasn't. That's when it's okay to be frustrated and mad, I think. I can register for Peoria right now. Oh, really? But I cannot well, that, register that for That might Sacramento. be like, Peor- oh, okay. That might be one of the, that you maybe just found a slot that like someone just randomly, is like a random open slot for Peoria chip. So whoever is <laughs> listening to this right now, <laughs> if you are still trying to register for Peoria, there might be one slot open. I thought Peoria capped. Um, like after like four hours or so, maybe they open more slots. I don't know. They may have opened but more slots. And that's something else be that's been good is a lot open. of organizers have gone in. It does feel like organizers are kind of doing what they like. I don't know they how can, exactly yeah. this relationship works between organizers and TPCI. Is it like TPCI says, okay, you need to make space for this many people and make this work. Or do organizers say, okay, we think that there will be this many people, you know, like, I don't know exactly what the setup is, but like, for example, you know, registration for, um the jur- the uh uh good uh gdansk gdansk i don't know how you say this 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 uh city in Dansk? poland verdansk it's not verdansk <laughs> got a Gdansk. war zone tournament it's basically the same thing uh, <laughs> uh the organizer did tweet out you know the list of available spots you know 788 masters for tcg 220 juniors and seniors and then they tweeted their VG and Go numbers as well. And then just a few hours later, literally, or no, I, I guess like, yeah, a day later, a few hours later, whatever it is, um, you know, we're able to make 150 more spots almost, right? Well, so like, the, this is because I retweeted their in, initial post. That's why they made the more. So no, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. you <laughs> made the difference. Are you Maybe going to regionals made, in Verdansk? No, I didn't have any plans to, bro. But if, if Europe, if you want me to keep... Uh... 
retweeting uh, or <laughs> commenting on the European tournament organizers' posts. I will if it gets more spots. Um, <laughs> no, I probably had no influence on it. I'm joking for that. But yeah, I think like that number could definitely be up towards. I mean, it could fit. I think we could see 1,200, 1,300, maybe even 1,400 Europeans at this tournament. I think like they're they're pushing up to 900, which is nice. More slots going in there, of course, which is great to see. But I think we definitely these European tournaments could probably all have like over a thousand players. Yeah, I think easily for sure. Yeah, and the 900 there is also like juniors and seniors as well. It's not just masters. So let's do a little bit. All right. No, no, the 900 is just masters. Juniors oh, and seniors are still 220. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was okay. like separate Wait. on their their post. Yep. All right, bring it back up. <laughs> you don't believe me? Well, no. Now I just want to see the breakdown. I'm like curious. Yeah. So it's I, I thought it was like that's VG. Oh. Oh, you're right. Like, you're right. You're right. What are you looking at? Is there no divisions in Go? It's just no. There's no Go. divisions in Go. Mm. See, why do they do that with Go, but not TCG or VGC? Why, Dude, why, why? I don't know, man. Well, no, no, but like, so actually, I had this. I, had I this think you have to be 13 to play Go, even. Oh, can you not? I'm not 100 percent sure on that, though. I'm not 100 percent sure. All right, someone can probably confirm in the comments. How old? How old do you have to be to play in a Pokemon Go regional championships? That might be the yeah. Maybe that's the reason. It's like there's no reason to have divisions if you have to be 13 over. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, with all that being said, Azul, before we get to guess that flavor text, we do need to take a moment to give a shout out and thank you to our amazing sponsor, Dragon Shield, for supporting us here at the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Of course, Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so, so much more. Azul. We're a couple weeks away. You got any new colors that you got your eye on? You going with the blood reds? <laughs> what, do, no. what do we think heading they into They sent me the... We, I showed them off last week. They sent me the truth and justice one. I think I'm going to bring those. I'm going to use the truth and the... Ooh, the I'm going bring with the dual mat color? Yeah, rocking the dual mats. I generally prefer the mats, but um, the dual mats are my my secondary go-to, of course. Yeah. Um. So I'll probably rock on those at Peoria. But yeah, huge shout-out to Dragon Shield, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. You can... Check them out at dragonshield.com slash webshop slash US or EU, depending on where you're located. And of course, they're literally available everywhere else. Local game stores, Amazon, Walmart, you name it, they'll probably be there. And with that being said, it is time for Guess That Flavor Text, where each week, either Azul or I picks a card for the other host to try to guess what that card is based solely on the flavor text featured on that card. You do get some lifelines to work with as well. The lifelines are what set the card is, what's, what, what set the card is from, excuse me, what stage the card is, and then read an attack name. It is my turn this week to pick for Azul. I'm absolutely crushing Azul. I think I'm ahead by like five points or something like that. So you know what, Azul? I was feeling generous here. <laughs> I've got one. I said this a couple weeks ago, and then you, you like had no this. clue. Yeah, you literally Azul, you can definitely get this one. Okay, I totally believe in you. You can do it. Are you ready? I'm ready, Chip. Hit me with the this week's flavor text. All right. Like, I'm not gonna just give you a freebie, right? Yeah, I gotta okay. make you right, work yeah. for it. But you every can time you think you're this. making me work for it, I never get it either. <laughs> All right, for protection. It releases a horrible stench from the antennae on its head to drive away enemies. Okay, that is a lot of information. 
So it right, go ahead one more time. For protection, it releases a horrible stench from the antennae on its head to drive away enemies. Okay, so it has antennas on its head. So it's a bug Pokemon, almost for sure. Um, and then it's also poison type or something like that, probably. So it could be psychic or a grass Pokemon. I mean, that might help me a little bit to try and get there. We got to use some lifelines here, though, for sure. I think I, I don't know. I'm thinking of Butterfree, but is Butterfree like out here farting on people? I don't think so. So I think we're gonna have to go. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to go with. Let's go with the set. I feel like the set usually helps me more than I actually think it does. But I think it. Yeah. What set is the card from? This one might not help you. It is from oh, no. XY Flashfire. XY Flashfire Pyroar. That's all I remember. Wait, that's where Pyroar <laughs> came from, right? Lysander. Lysander, Pyroar. There was maybe a Butterfree in that set. There could have been something like a Venomoth. Um, maybe like a the, the Ladybug Pokemon. Those things have antennae on it, their heads, I think, as well. Like Lady B or, or I forget that. I don't even know the names of them now that I'm trying to think Lady of them. Ba. All right, give me Ladybug. Yeah, Ladybug. I forget what the other one is. Lady in. So it could be one of those. But let's go with what stage the card is. Next. It is a basic. All right. I don't think it's Ladybug or Lady in. So not no, there's no, no chance for. I don't think it was Venomoth or Butterfree, anyways. But there's no chance for it to be one of those. I don't think the attack name is going to help me much, but it might might help me determine if it's like a psychic Pokemon, which might help me visually, or a grass Pokemon. So I guess I'm going to go with an attack name here as well. Use them all. It is Bug Bite. Oh, it is a bug. I feel like Bug Bite is usually not on psychic Pokemon like that. I can remember majority of the time it is going to be on a grass Pokemon. Dude, I am struggling here. So XY Flashfire. What is the basic for Venomoth? Even though it's Cascoon, something Cascoon, Venomoth. Could be that. Flash, Venomoth is a stage old. one, by the way. Venomoth is? Yeah. What am Cascoon I Cascoon is the middle evolution for Beautifly. Oh, Beautifly. What is or, what is uh, Venomoth dust evolved dust from? Dogs, but Venomoth what about the evolved from Venonat? Oh, that's what I'm. Is that is that it could be Venonat? Um, but if you would you have really just told me Venonat if it was Venonat? I don't even know if you would have done that. But I guess it doesn't like now. I'm like talking myself out of it. So maybe. <laughs> All right. Listen, let's go I decided with... whenever because you just don't know Pokemon's names. I yeah, decided yeah, like yeah. when you're having a hard time thinking of what the Pokemon's name is, I'll tell you what the Pokemon's <laughs> name is, regardless of if it's. Uh, let's close go with or not. let's go with Venonat. I'm pretty sure Venonat has antennae. Let's go with Venonat. It's an older Pokemon. Locking it in. Sure. Not a bad guess, but not <laughs> correct. What was one of the other Pokemon you were saying a few times that was not a basic? Butterfree. Yeah, what's the what are the previous evolutions for Butterfree? Weedle, Caterpie. It is Caterpie. Oh no, I yeah. I mean, I just like was jumping on like what are the basics of them? Then and that was the first one that I thought of. Caterpie. You were so here. close, man. Yeah. And all right, well, I mean, but, but the process is working though, right? The, the, the process I went through definitely getting me closer than I have in the past. So, yep. yeah, that's something right How there. How did you right? remember there was a, a Butterfree and Flashfire? A Butterfree and Flashfire? I mean, it's just like, it's an older bug type Pokemon, right? Like I, like, I know like a rough, I have a rough idea of generations, you know, in general. Bro, um, this one's from 99. What? Butterfree. 
Well, yeah, but I know it's like not one of the newer bug Pokemon. Basically, yeah, okay. I know it. I know it could have been like a Butterfree. That's also, what I'm saying. This like, Caterpie and Metapod have like the quick evolve abilities that, like, you know, these like we're not good by any means at any point, but like, you know, these things have popped up at some point or another, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Azul, you'll have to try again <laughs> in two weeks. <laughs> All right. Hopefully, you don't get too far, too much further ahead next week. Um, our last topic, last thing we got on, is the docket a term, right? Last thing we I have on the docket. I thought you were going to say the menu. No, we could go with the menu. The, the last docket thing we got on the menu. is a term, though. That is, yeah. that works. <laughs> uh, talking a little bit more about the current format, tournament format of how you play. Best of one, best of three. What is better? What is not? Uh, and this discussion kind of got brought up again this week because Chris Brown, who I mentioned earlier, uh, put out a tweet. And Chris Brown... Uh, was it? What does it say in there? Twitter bio director, global esports and events producer at Pokemon. Go ahead and read them the tweet, Chip. Yeah, so Chris tweeted out, uh, visited Japan Champion League last year. The TCG tournament format is Swiss best of one. 30-minute round timer, no extra turns. Unfinished games equal a loss for both players. No extra turns post-time means that the next round starts about 10 minutes after time is called for the previous. Thoughts? So, you know, just putting feelers out there. Wants to see what people think about Japan's tournament structure versus our current one. And, of course, this is a topic that has been ongoing for the last several months in the game, it feels like. Like, this this time discussion came up pre-NAIC, it feels like. Because we just got a couple decks in the format right now that are really slow, that um you know take a long time to establish their board they use a lot of one prize pokemon lost bots of and Gardevoir are being those those two decks in the format right now uh and there's also you know been tons of discussion around how players abuse the current time rules in tournament play you know we play 30 minutes or sorry 50 minutes best Jeez. of three and 30 minutes best if, of three yeah 30 minutes you imagine <laughs> no, 50 minutes best of three and if game two does not complete within that 50 minutes plus three turns then whoever won game number one is the winner of the set so it doesn't matter how close to winning or losing game number two anyone is if time is called and the game does not finish in plus three turns then that set ends in a win for the person who won game number one so i mean this is kind of cool right it shows that you know someone at pokemon chris you know being a director of global esports like that's pretty high up there you know chris is in the pokemon presents a lot of the time talking about things that are happening in the play pokemon world um you know the fact that he's tweeting this out there putting feelers out there wants to know what people are thinking i mean it tells me that you know it feels like at least that pokemon is at least considering adjusting what we have right now right is that too far to assume that based on this um yeah i guess this might kind of indicate that to be honest for sure or maybe it's just kind of just like chris just wants to know what people think more so than anything um that's what i was saying like if chris is putting this out there that means chris is paying attention to people talking on twitter and mm -hmm. like sees the discourse that means like i don't know why pokemon needs to get a support ticket <laughs> to know that european events are <laughs> capping instantly on registration um but yeah it's cool to see that a little bit more like communication or thought being put out there from uh, a little bit more of a direct connection i guess as far as thoughts being put out there from people at tpci and stuff like that um 
as far as their system goes, I still think best of one is not good. I think this the current meta is kind of the product of the current meta is that there is I think it's so I've having put more t- thought into this, I think it's fine for decks to exi- ad- exist in a best two out of three for tournament format that generally play one game. I think that's fine. Um, I think it's a whole different discussion about how uh, time can be manipulated around them. But I think if like just generally Lost Box plays one game or Guardi plays one game in the best out of three, I think that's fine for decks like that to exist in the meta. I think the problem could become when the majority of top decks are those type of decks, then I think it's okay to be like, okay, maybe if they, if this is the direction the game is consistently going in, um, then maybe we should switch to a best of one format. But I don't think we've really had that indication yet. It's really just Lost Box and Guardi and Lost Box and Guardi. Well, Lost Box specifically has been around for a long time. Guardi a little bit more recently, but I don't think we should be like all doom and gloom on only playing one game in a best two out of three format till the end of time. You know, we should wait and see how the meta develops and how the game develops in general. And if it is consistently that a majority of the top decks or enough of the top decks are get one game, best two out of three, uh, are playing one game in best two out of three and getting wins that way, then I think a, a shift is uh, uh, probably necessary. But I don't think that's really been. Um, kind of like we don't know that yet we don't know where the game is headed as far as that goes we have, we have to like wait a rotation maybe even two rotations before we really lose lost box lose guard for completely um or maybe just lost box is going to be the main call but guard is going to be around for a little bit longer so once we lost box get a, gets a little bit more under control whether that be it being countered by jirachi and iron hands or maybe it's just falling out of the out of the favor in the meta or the rotation losing battle vip passes enough to kind of kill it off once lost box has gone what does it look like then is it just guard being the only deck that is playing one game in best out of three and if it is then i think it's fine i think it's fine for get decks like like that to exist um and i think this is definitely a situation where it's like the grass is always green because we even see like daichi uh basically responding to chris brown's tweet and being like uh, and this is actually what i've seen a couple of tweets from a couple other people be, being like the japanese players love playing in tpci's uh event format they love playing best out of three over best of one so for everyone outside of japan i think this is definitely a grass is always greener kind of situation it doesn't mean it couldn't be improved on though but the best of three system currently could be improved on for sure yeah, and some people definitely, I mean, like Mahone here tweeted, best of one Swiss would be fantastic. You know, like some people are definitely, you know, taking the blue <laughs> pill or whatever, right? Like saying that they feel like it would be better the other way. But, you know, it was echoed by a lot of people. I mean, so, some people like Team Fish Knuckles here saying he personally would like it. We could play more rounds like 13 to 15 and still finish earlier in the day. Like, I feel like if you moved to a best of one format, it yeah, probably should add more rounds right like doing what japan has right now which is nine rounds best of one i think like you can find a happy medium between that and then our nine rounds best of three by having like day one 12 or 15 rounds something like that of best of one and then that would maybe help with some of the variants heading into day two you know if it's 12 rounds of best of one what you would take uh people who are have a record of nine and three or better right into day two maybe eight and four into day two something like that yeah i think um well i want to say something as well oh yeah i think uh so three is better yada yada dan i had somewhere i was gonna go with this what, what were you saying <laughs> <laughs> i was just talking about like like what some people had said you know people who've played in both like jake gearhart pointing out the vast majority oh, yeah. of players who have experienced TPCI system and TPC system say they prefer TPCIs. You mentioned yeah, that exactly. as well. Yeah, TP, like best two out of three is like so much better to, and like it's not all about the better player winning uh, as much as possible because then we'd be looking at playing best of fives, best of sevens, yada, 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 right? But if, if even, even if you aren't one of the best players in the world, you want 
to feel like what you do in a game of Pokemon is winning you more games of Pokemon, right? You want to be winning more often based on your skill, right? Like everyone does, even if you don't like yeah. mentally realize it, everyone does. And best of three leads to the better player winning a lot, a lot more than best of one does. Um, I think there could be some things to be improved on in best two out of three. Like one, one thought that I had right now would be like, if you're in game two, now in the past, we've had, such, we've had rules where also, oh, what I want to say, we should not be flip-flopping between best of one and best two out of three every other year, right? That should not be something we do. We should figure out what is best for how the game is probably going to be played over the next 10 years and then go with that, right? And currently I think best out of three, even in the current format is superior to best of one for sure. Um, now, if there is like a trend, of there's too many decks that play one game in best two out of three, then I think we could talk again, you know, like a year or two from now if that is happening. But right now, I think best two out of three. I don't think it's even really a discussion to have personally. Um, but I could see little things being added to best two out of three to more incentivize playing more games. Like in the past, we used to have a rule where if you've drawn, if half the prize cards, or if one player has drawn more than half of their prize cards, the game counts. So yeah. if you drew four prize cards, the game counted. And then whoever's ahead on prize cards wins at that point. So if your opponent won game one, but then you drew four prize cards in game two, you win game two, right? And it ends with you being up by four, or you've drawn four prize cards and they have four prize cards left and you have two prize cards left, you win that game and then you go to game three, sudden death, right? Or whatever that yeah. was. Or maybe it would, at that point see, it would be a tie. Then you um, get into the issue. That's what happened in 2015 Nationals Finals, right? Jason yeah. Klasinski loses game one to the Waylord. He would have lost game two, but time was called and he had taken prizes. at least four prizes so then they went to a sudden death one prize game three deciding game he ends enrique to one and just quaking punches for the win yeah i think in this situation you'd remove sudden death and it would be a tie unless it was in top cut but in top cut you have 75 minutes if you're not finishing three games it's it's your fault or your opponent's fault they should have played faster like we can't like we can't give nuance nuanced rules for every little situation when someone could have played better right so you got to like limit it it does maybe hurt deck creativity a little bit in that sense like you pointed out with that situation i'm sure sander would not be a big fan of those rules <laughs> but yeah you can't give nuanced rules for every single situation you have to kind of do like more broad rules that make sense for the majority of of what people are going to be playing more consistently in the majority of situations that apply are nuance when it makes sense yeah and then for i think actually a rule that i just literally came up with in my head would be we could have that rule apply only for game two and be like and not have it apply for game three so just be like if one time is called you are in game two and x amount of prize cards are drawn or you could even just make it who's ever up on prize cards win game two wins game two right or if at least four prize cards have been drawn on one side or the other the person who is ahead on prize cards wins game two right i think that would actually be a um a fine rule to have um would just have just have that apply to game two and if you're in game three and even if you draw four prize cards it's still a tie at that point yeah. game one you know conclude game one if you're in game two if at least one person's drawn four prize cards that game all of a sudden counts where it is and then you just never go to game three it's just a tie at that point but you get the game the game two to count more frequently i feel like this would fix you know some of the issues that players are having right now i mean one of the big matches that i feel like people have pointed to that like it shows that this is kind of an issue in our system right now was uh i think it was round one of naic this year it was pedro yep. pertusi versus tord where Tord wins a pretty long game number one. It's a Gardevoir mirror match. And then in game two, Tord basically, you, I mean, I don't know at what point he made this decision, but like as early as turn two, you can very much tell that Tord does not intend to attack that game. He just intends to put Pokemon in play, you know, play his cards, do things that are allowed within the context of the rules as they exist currently. And then finish his turn, 
Pedro does his thing, attacks, takes a knockout. There's just not enough time on the clock for Pedro to ever take all six prize cards. But would there have been time for Pedro to take four prize cards? Yeah. Probably, right? And so then yeah. Tord has to, you know, would have to play differently. And Tord would have to play the game or just tie, yeah. right? So you and play that for the win of, at that That's point. one of the things, too, is it's like when you get to that point in a game, it doesn't feel like you are playing pokemon anymore you're not playing to like play a game of pokemon <laughs> you're playing the rules of the tournament which is yeah. like at the top level you know what that is what it is right the rules are what they are what is being done right now by some of these top players is within the confines of what is laid out in the rules for the most part penalties are probably not uh given out as frequently as they should be for pace of play things that's a whole other issue in and of itself but um you know the rules as they are written allow for what we see taking place right now right but yeah, i don't know definitely. that there's any way that you could ever change it right because like you can't know, tell like... some you can't tell someone you're not allowed to you know play cards <laughs> you're not allowed to think about what card you should play next for a second or two you know yeah like, you can't i think tell it's like someone that yeah, of course. I think it is a little bit ridiculous that people are like uh, getting mad at Tord. Like, I, I, like I have nothing against Tord. Um, I'm gonna bring up this thing in the rule book here in a second, but um, yeah, people are getting mad at, mad at Tord for like not taking knockouts and like not evolving to a guard EX. It's like, I mean, that's just like ridiculous. Now, I think uh, from the two stream matches we've seen recently from Tord, one was up against. Tell me what um, section of the rule book it's in, real quick, and I'll pull it up. Uh, just uh, oh, tempo of play, tempo of play. There's numbers there. Oh, 5.8.5. Okay, thanks. <laughs> what Tord uh, did against Pedro Petrucci um, and what Tord did against uh, Alberto, I believe, at uh, Barcelona, I think would fall. I think, like, in both those situations, I think it would have been fair if Tord had got a warning or if Tord already had a warning, could have ended up with a, a two-prize penalty. And I think what what Tord could be penalized here for uh, falls under uh, this, like, I don't know, what is this? What would you call this in the rule book? A rule? But it's it's like a caveat. This clause. Like, a clause. Go ahead and read the clause. Yeah, so this is, like Azul said, 5.8.5 in the rules and resource book. Tempo of play. The pace of a Pokemon TCG match should be lively without being excessively fast, and each player should receive approximately half of the allotted time for the game. I think that okay. being... I will say, I think that being specified is a little cringe. Like, some decks just take more time. Also, like, sometimes you're playing a control deck that, like, you're playing... 30 minutes here, opponent's playing 20. Like that, yeah. I don't think I mean, it does say approximately, you know, yeah. it's like not a hard rule. But I mean, Bro, and I, I got... feel like, you know, when you think about like, I don't know, just any mirror match playing out, you would hope that both yeah, yeah, games, you know, in an ideal world of like competitive, a like game, this isn't right? like this isn't chess. Like some decks take two actions and some decks take 10 actions, and that's fine. Like it's fine for. There, they, there's variety. It's fine for there to Pokemon. be the Arceus Duraludons that go attach, attack, and then it's fine for there to be the Muse that Ultra Ball and Fusion Strike system, and then yeah. Cramomatic, and then play a Stadium, and then Alessa Sparkle, and I, yeah, I just don't like that 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 is specified in the rulebook. I think that's wrong for it to be specified in a trading card game rulebook for that to say that roughly half the time should be allowed to both players when it, at that point, we're, like we're not playing chess. Like we don't both don't play with the same pieces that do the same things where we have the same options of what our pieces do every single turn. Like, 
Some decks take more actions, some decks take less. Now, the only thing that should happen is the time between actions and how fast you are actually playing the game for how many actions you have. That's what should be put under scrutiny and yeah. should be regulated, right? Sure. So I just wanted to point that out there. I'm not a big fan of that. This exists in the rulebook as a sentence, but go ahead, continue. Pokemon Organized Play has set forth the below guidelines by which to assess whether a game action is completed in a reasonable time frame. Shuffling and setup, game start for two minutes. Mm -hmm. Shuffling and deck search, mid-game, 15 seconds. Performing the actions of a card or attack, 15 seconds. Considering the game position before playing a card, 10 seconds. And starting the turn after the opponent's end-of-turn announcement, 5 seconds. So, I mean, some of these things... And, and I think that... Maybe some of the reason that some of this isn't as judged, like isn't uh, as penalized maybe as much as it should have been is because maybe judges are applying more nuance than we would give them credit for, right? Like, for example, this last one, starting the turn after the opponent's end of turn announcement, five seconds. So someone takes a knockout, you have to promote something. Are you not able to like take a moment, look at their discard pile and try to figure out what is best for me to promote here in this situation? Like if sometimes it's obvious, right? Sometimes you have a Pidgeot EX in play that has free retreat. So you're sending that up, right? <laughs> but like sometimes what you promote based on, you know, how many resources you've gone through, how many switch cards you have left in your lost Fox deck, right? Like it could matter. Maybe you send up your attacker. Maybe you send up a comfy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, but like, that's one of the things you should be constantly like, I mean, you shouldn't take too much time, but yeah, like if you haven't checked yeah, your yeah, yeah. pile in a while, pick it up. But that's why this is like, and then even the next sentence is these are guidelines only and should only be considered within the context of normal gameplay. Um, so like one of the examples I like to give for this, which as far as my, it's as far as to my knowledge is very legal. And when I've ever talked to judges about this kind of stuff before, they're like, yeah, that's fine. Like you can sit there at the beginning of your turn and like take 30 seconds, 45 seconds to look at your hand, assess the board state, and then play out like 10 actions in a row, like taking two seconds each. Like that's fine. Cause you're like, it's just like, like it's like on average, you want like your your time between actions to be like 10 to 15 seconds. So if you take like 30 seconds initially to plan everything out and then play everything really quickly, like that's fine, right? Um, so it's not something where you like have to play every, like you have to be like, okay, I only have 10 seconds before I have to make my next move, right? Like you can take that extra time to like assess the board state, uh, choose how, what you want to ultra ball away, what you want to get off. So in that situation, so should, if a player takes, you know, 45 seconds to plan out their turn. 45 seconds might be a little bit long, but okay, like maybe if they 20, take 30, 30, you know, if they take an extended period of time, more than what is outlined here uh, by a bit to think about their turn. And then they play a couple cards really fast, but then something happens and they like have to think about something for a second. Should they then be penalized? Because, well, they've already used some of this allotted time earlier. Uh, we're supposed to be moving quickly now. Oh, but something maybe changed. Now you want to think about it. Uh, should there be a penalty enforced right away right i don't know i mean i have to depend on the situation and like it like and that's why like usually a judge just like looking at uh someone playing for like a you know a minute or something isn't gonna be able to really truly assess should someone get a penalty for like stopping and stopping for a second in the middle of their their flow of of actions right a judge will want to sit there for a little while and actually assess the situation a little bit longer than that are they like consistently taking too much time versus like one time they stopped and took a little bit of extra time then normally is like on 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 average what people generally take right um so that should be like a consistent pattern where you'd want to all of a sudden like give a penalty i think so um those can be hard to it can be really hard to tell sometimes but in general you know just make sure you're playing at a reasonable place to play now the part that here at the end is kind of the the caveat or whatever i mentioned what do you call it would you say is a 
the <laughs> your word is better than mine. I'm saying caveat. I don't know if that's the right word to use this word. I think what um, dude, I don't remember. And I this, said I menu think, earlier in this episode. It doesn't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this I think could be what Tord could be penalized for. Players attempting to compartmentalize their turn in order to consistently use every second of the time allowed for these actions will be subject to penalties associated with stalling. So basically this means if, uh, you know, performing the actions of a card or attack 15 seconds, if you play a level ball and then count to 15 while you do that and then uh, play another card and count to 15 while you do that, if you're literally truly maximizing how much time you're allotted between actions... That's considered stalling or slow playing. And the first penalty you'll get will be a warning. And if you already have a warning for slow play, not just in that game, but in the tournament in general, it will be followed up by a two-prize penalty. And I don't know where it goes from there. At the very least, it would be a followed-up two-prize penalty. Um, and so I think, like, already people are saying um, you can't be mad at Tor because he's playing by the rule book. Um, and like I said, I got nothing against Tor, but I think under the current rule book, Tord probably should already be getting some penalties, warnings, and even leading up to DPLs, depending if he already has a warning. So I think also, what we Tord don't is... know a thousand percent know whether or not he is getting penalties, right? In the Swiss rounds out there, maybe it's just not getting penalized on the stream, right? He's not on stream every That's single possible, tournament. Yeah. He didn't get streamed feel... <laughs> at all in Pittsburgh, right? Like... I will say with that, I usually do hear if Tord ever receives a penalty at it or a warning at a tournament. I I it usually makes its way over to me, so I usually know whether or not he got a warning yeah, sure. or a penalty. It gets spread around. Tord, of course, is like the biggest name in the game, so a lot of people know what's happening, what he's playing by round one and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, but yeah, I think like then like I said, I, I like Vader viewed Tord's match in Barcelona, the round one or the round against Alberto, round one of day two. Grant Manley was with the, with me there as well. We watched and kind of talked about it. And I think it would have been fine if Torta got a warning in that situation. I was like, and it kind of feels like it is car, car, uh, compartmentalizing the turn to try and maximize time. And it felt like that. And you can't truly know for sure if that's what Torta's trying to do or not. But also, I mean, that's where the nuance comes in, where judges are allowed to make those calls based on what they think is happening um, in the situation. And you can be like, well, maybe there should just be like strict rules and you should only ever follow the rules. But if you do that, it's really easy for players to like, bend and break the rules um, or effectively bend and break the rules kind of at their will, knowing that they can literally count to 15 in their head before they have to make another action. Right. So I don't think you want it to go that route. Right? We want to give more power to the judges to make nuanced calls in these situations. Um, Cause I think that'll definitely lead to a, a better, more fair playing field for, uh, for everyone. One of the things I did see brought up and I've seen this a couple times and I think we talked about it uh i think the first person i saw bring this up was jake gearhart a few months ago toward said something about it and then in the replies to chris brown's tweet rahul suggested it potentially and that is moving to a best of two system you know where each players play <laughs> one game you know each person gets a chance to go first and then you just like you know, count your match points for each game, like one match point for each win, right? Something like that. I think that's similar to what chess does, right? Because playing black versus white is so different in, in chess. Um, yeah. So, you know, each player gets a chance to have the first turn and then you report your score accordingly. I don't think this really works as well in Pokemon, though. I can, like, understand the thought process behind why someone would want this to potentially be a thing. But I mean, I'm also thinking from and I think I said this when we talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast was like from a stream standpoint, from a content standpoint, like putting a match up there 
if like if we stream, you know, if we don't stream all nine rounds day one, but we stream, you know, five rounds or six rounds, whatever it is, and then like four or five of those five or six rounds end in just a tie, like a one one. That's so not interesting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that can be a good enough reason to not do it. I actually was talking to Chip about uh League of Legends when the EU LCS switched over from a best of one format to a best of two format. And I just stopped watching because it was just like it was like I no one wins. <laughs> like I don't want to watch where where the game is it's like it's either over after the first game because they're gonna win 2-0, or the other team wins and then it's a tie. So no matter what, it's not a it's not a fun outcome, right? Um, like best of one, I feel like is more fulfilling at that point because there's a winner, right? Somebody wins, right? So I think just based on that premise of like the, the there's no yeah, there's just no gratification from like completing a series or as much, and then especially on like the stream side of things, like there's no yeah there's no winner it's like way less enjoyable to watch like i literally stopped i used to watch a lot of NALCS, EULCS. i just stopped watching the EULCS when they went from best of one to best of best of two now not, now not everyone will but i think a majority of people will agree that it's definitely less fulfilling to watch a match where there's either you already know the winner after game one because if they win the second game they are the winner or it just ends in a tie right there's like no potential for a comeback right which just makes it super I don't know, deflating. It's just not enjoyable to watch like at all. So yeah, best of two, I think is just awful. I think me and Chip both agree on that. Best of two is not the answer. The more, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I like my solution where in game two, if someone's drawn four prize cards, the game counts. I think I did it. I solved it. So just (laughs) implement it. Chris Brown, I hope you're listening to this. If not, I hope this gets back to you. Second game. If someone's drawn four prize cards, the game counts, lock it up, submit it. Next region. We get this done before Peoria. We could have this implemented before Peoria. (laughs) Let's do it. I think I I think I did it. Let's get it. I think you overestimate talking. how quickly something like that could. <laughs> I don't know. They they, they could probably. I'll give them a season. Next season, no, maybe <laughs> maybe after the first IC, like that would be a good time frame. I mean, to be fair, last year, um, when VGC came back for Scarlet and Violet, they had record numbers because people were interested in the game, right? So they. It's actually they, crazy. Like, because I feel like VGC has always been really small, but like since Scarlet and Violet, it's really taken off and like yeah, consistently well, like 500 because, players like, competitive, and stuff like that. Competitive Pokemon, like video game has always been really popular, but for a long time, the most popular way to play it was the unofficial like singles rule set. Right. But now yeah. I feel like we're getting to a point where VGC is just as popular, if not even more popular than what singles was for a long time. But regardless they might overtake the tcg eventually to be honest like the it could happen for sure i mean it's it's way larger reach as far as like audience and people who understand what's happening and as as long as the video game every single generation they've done things to make it easier to make a competitive team now this year there's been some issues i think with some of the like i pay attention to a little bit of the vgc scene but i think there's been some issues with like um getting some of the older Pokemon in your game, but like any Pokemon that's uh, from Scarlet and Violet, you can have a pretty easy time, a pretty reasonable time getting a competitive team built within like 30 minutes in game, something like that. So it's like not too hard to do, but, um, but anyway, you know, back to this uh, point Uh, when they came back in January of this year, they were using their old rules that were, uh, made it really difficult to make it even into day two, and then even more difficult to make it to top eight. I don't remember exactly what the way everything worked, but they had a different system to us. But 
Like less rounds and no ties or something, right? Yeah, it... yeah. I mean, and they still have no ties, but yeah, they had less rounds. Oh yeah, it was the just ties like can't exist. basically there was like a massive. Well, they bubble. had no day two. They yeah, no they had no day two. two. That's what it was. It That's was only it was, straight. Yeah. It was cut straight to to top sixteen, maybe, but. Um, there was always like a 30 player bubble or something like that. They had no day two Swiss. That's what (laughs) it was. Um, And it happened like that for like the first two regionals. Their community was like pretty upset about it. They were pretty vocal about it. I don't know if anyone submitted support tickets or if they just paid attention to VGC Twitter or what it was. Someone at Pokemon paid attention, Uh, but it got fixed a couple regionals into the year and they implemented the day two Swiss system. Like what we have in uh, TCG. Now, it was actually kind of funny to, like, sit back and watch them, like, uh, complain about the same things, you know, we have complained about for a while with the system of, like, oh, bubbling out, you know, feels so bad, (laughs) right? And, uh, like, I bubbled getting this many championship points. I had the same record as this person. You know, it's the same things, like, we've been complaining about. Um, But it was still far better than what they had previously, right? Um, so there is precedent all that to say, like there is precedent for like something like this changing in the middle of the season, which I think mm-hmm. it wouldn't be unreasonable for them to make a change, uh, based on like how things are in the current metagame. But it is a question of like, it's sh- like you said, it shouldn't change year to year. It shouldn't change based yeah. on the metagame, but is this more just a problem with where the metagame is at currently, where the pace of the current decks are, or is the pace of the current decks highlighting, the issues of this current format right and if that's the yeah. case then it's reasonable for it to to change right yeah I, I honestly think like just adding some way to make more games finish in best out of three is probably the way to go like yeah best of one is terrible if we if they do force us to best of one which i really hope they don't i hope i donk every player's manaphies who wanted best of one like i hope every time i hit them in a tournament they just, just open gonna on play quad Th- does quad uh iron valiant become a real strategy oh. in best of one Yep, yep. For me, I hope I just play against yeah, who was it? Mahone. I'm gonna have a list, bro. I hope I hit him and I donk their manifest every single round. <laughs> Azul's <bro>. hit list. <laughs> they're opening manifest pass every time. Um, yeah, I think they, they. I think there definitely is some improvement to be had on best out of three. Just like to improve on the system. I think best out of three is far superior to best of one. We see the Japanese players saying basically the same thing. It's like they would much rather play in our system in best of out of three in the current meta than their system in best of one, right? Now, I'm not saying their best of one system is perfect and couldn't be improved on, but how do you get better than 30 minute best of one? Like that's that's like that's like maximizing best of ones, right? Like what, what else would you even improve on that? There's not there's like nothing to do, right? Uh, maybe you add ties in there, I guess. That would be like the one thing to see improved. But yeah, I think best of three, far superior. Do something just make more games finish. Is it like I said, game two, four prize cards have been drawn. I don't like the idea of that existing in game three as well. But in game two, I kind of like the idea of it existing. I don't like. I don't love the idea of it existing in game three. Just like make it, make uh, if you're in a game, game three and doesn't finish. Only rule. Yeah, like in my head, I like it better. It's just like a game two only rule. But I could see them doing it in the game, the game three as well. But doing adding some kind of other way to make a game be finished or head on head. If you want to do a head on prize cards, whatever it might be, adding something like that, I don't think is like a bad thing. I think simply being a head on prize card, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of that because if you're just like ahead by one prize card, five to six, you winning the match feels a little. There's like no strategy. There's no strategizing that you could do to put yourself in a better position, like uh, have to draw four prize cards, right, and be playing well, around. Okay, I have a couple turns to work with. And so it's like, well, so my opponent drew one prize card. So, so for the stuff of like you know being ahead on prize cards, that's like what the tiebreaker is in game three of single elimination, right? And I've had that situation yeah. come up in league cups before, where I um we went to time in game three. It was like a Gardevoir GX mirror match. So this was like twenty. 17 sometime 2018 something like that um 
and we go into time. I become turn three of time and I don't have a way to get ahead on prize cards, but I do have to change my thinking because of the time rules. I have a way to make sure on my opponent's next turn, turn four, they can't take, you know, one prize card, like evolving everything up or something like that. Like something I wouldn't normally have done, right? I like had to do something I wouldn't normally have done. Do that. My opponent, you know, has no way to take that last knockout, whatever it is. And then I am able to do it on the last turn, you know, um, to make sure that I go ahead on prize cards, even though maybe doing it in this way, I don't remember exactly what happened. Right. But like, even though like it, it, I think that that existing, like having to think differently adjusted to the rules, isn't necessarily like a bad thing. Like, yeah, it's different than like what a normal game of Pokemon should look like, but yeah, you don't fault like a, a professional sports team for like changing the way they play based on you know whatever unique situation has come I mean, up you or can like just use whatever happens in the rule book right like well, yeah you just use the toward situation for that you don't like i i don't fault toward specifically i think like i said that i think already under the current rules i think toward is uh riding the line a little bit and maybe should be receiving more warnings than he does um but I'm not, i don't have anything against toward like either the rules need to be enforced better or if 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 the judges and everyone feel like what Tord is doing is not against the rules, then your your gripe should be with the rules, right? I, I don't I don't I don't hold anything against Tord. I don't think anyone should. I don't think it, like being toxic towards Tord isn't like the solution here. Like you either think the rule that Tord is currently breaking the current rules and that the rules need to be enforced better, but if the judges tell you um, that no, that's not it, then you should be like, okay, well I think the rules need to be changed, and that's what you should be advocating for, right? Like, but you you're we're not holding anything against Tord. You should never have any anger or hatred towards towards specifically it should be about uh, are the rules being enforced um and if they're not okay well then i think the rules should change i think those are both fine things to think as well i think those are both two things that are like fine to think with for sure um but yeah you're never like uh yeah and then like you said like playing within the rules like things change up but the same thing like if you're trying to take like maybe you make a play where you only ever set up two attackers not only ever set up two attackers but you put all your resources into two attackers once they both get knocked out, you lose, but you only need to draw four prize cards. So the first one takes two prize cards. The second one takes two prize cards. You've drawn the four prize cards. The game is completed, and now you win the match because of that, right? So, um, Or now you win that game, and you tie, or you go to game three, top cut, whatever it might be. But yeah, I think improving on the best out of three system is way better than going to any kind of best of one or best, two, best, of, best of two. Best of two, should, no one should ever say best of two ever again. Best of one is definitely, best of two is so bad. Ever don't say it. <laughs> no one should ever mention best of two ever again. Well, we'll definitely, you know, Azul and I, you know, keep our uh, you know, we're in the loop and like see what people are talking about on Twitter and stuff like that. So if we see any big updates or anything like that, we'll definitely let everyone know in a future episode of the podcast. Um, anything else, Azul, you want to hit on before we get out of here and get into our Patreon bonus episode? No, I think that uh covers everything for me chip go ahead send us home yeah thanks a bunch to everyone for listening as always if you did please be sure to leave us a like a rating a review a comment any of those things they all help us out so so much totally free and super easy and fast way for you to show your support to us here on the podcast and if you want to stay in touch with us the best place to do that is over on the website formerly known as Twitter. You can follow myself <laughs> at Chip Ritchie. Azul is at Azul underscore GG. And then you can also follow the podcast here 
at uncommon underscore energy. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. All of those things. So you make sure you never miss an episode. Yeah. Appreciate the support as always. Catch you all next week for another Tuesday episode before the Wednesdays start hitting at 7 a.m. Eastern. We're going to go ahead and jump into the bonus episode over on the Patreon.